for people coming into the subject for children, they, they kind of need a, a little bit more. You know, they need something that will get the, the code off the screen and into their real world and, and be like useful for them or be funny, something that they can use. I suppose it's kind of copying how science experiments are done at school. You know, you don't just read the experiment in the book. You, you do it and you, you physically do the experiment and it get, it's much more engaging. Welcome to Kids Lab, a podcast for parents, educators, and everybody interested in STEAM education. In this episode, I'm talking to Lorraine Underwood about her book, Save the World with Code. It's a book filled with great projects for the Raspberry Pi, Adafruit Circuit Playground, and the BBC Microbit. Lorraine is originally from Ireland and now lives in the UK with her husband and two young boys. She's a trained secondary school teacher in information communication technology and currently works at Lancaster University as a senior teaching associate, teaching applied and creative computing to undergraduate students. In 2016, Lorraine attended the Raspberry Pi's Pi Academy and it opened her eyes to the maker community. Lorraine is a maker who works mainly with lights. Her aim is to inspire adults and children to learn how to code. Lorraine runs weekly coding lessons for children and is also a scout leader. She loves to teach children and open their eyes to the possibilities of technology. Her book, Save the World with Code, that just recently got published in May 2020, includes 20 fun projects for the Raspberry Pi, the Adafruit Circuit Playground Express and the BBC Microbit. She's really chosen the top educational boards out there with the biggest communities. That's a guarantee for a lot of fun and if needed, excellent support too. And the really cool thing is that very often you can choose which tool you want to use for the particular project. So for most of the 20 projects, you get to choose which computing board you want to use. As always, for the show notes and links of this episode, please visit kidslab.dev. Hi, Loren. Thank you so much for taking the time to record for the Kids Lab podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Sven. I'm doing really well, thank you. We're kind of we're in the middle of, of the lockdown in the UK here in June, in May, sorry. But we're doing well. You know, the kids are healthy. I'm healthy. It's all we can ask for, really, at this point. Yeah, very cool. And I think um, it's probably one of the first recordings uh, since a long time where we might see a little bit of the end of the tunnel, actually, which is not too bad. Loren, I think if I wanted to simplify things, for me, your book is all about coding. So it's also a bit, I guess, about making and crafting probably and assembling things with your hands, of course, in the physical world. But for me, it's mostly about coding. So I would assume that coding means a lot to you. So in your own words, what does coding mean to you? Yeah, coding to me, it kind of, um, it kind of means like creativity and it means, um, Coding means kind of freedom. <laughs> it just means taking. I I was kind of discouraged from calling the book coding because it has such a a, neg a negative appeal to some people. It kind of some people feel like it's boring, and you know it's only for geeks. But to me, coding is my way of expressing myself um, through through my projects. So I wanted people to show that they they can do that. So the the, the project is about making fun projects with code. 
I think you're, you like to use LEDs. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. I have a small obsession with LEDs. <laughs> <laughs> I love LEDs too, actually. So I, I love NeoPixels, for example, which are these, um, you know, very easy to program LEDs, right? So. Yes. Yeah. They're my favorite. Like I, I actually, I don't like LEDs where you need to like put a resistor into a, a breadboard. I hate those ones. They're, I feel like they're my enemy. Um, well, NeoPixels, yeah, that's how I really got into making, really, was was true NeoPixels. I would have given up if I had to breadboard anything for any longer. Very cool. So you love coding and you express your creativity with these LEDs, I guess, <laughs> with lots of colors. Yes. Um, so before we dive into your book, um, I saw online that you also participated in something that was called the Virtual Pi Wars 2020. I think that's um, this time it was an online event, of course, because of the coronavirus, a corona pandemic, I think. Um, but you created a, a robot and I think you put that on YouTube and I found that very cool. So can you explain to us what the Pi Wars is all about and what your specific project was about? Yeah, sure. Uh, Pi Wars, I first heard about about three years ago. Um, it's a kind of there's a competition in the UK called Robot Wars, uh, where where robots kind of compete against each other and try and crash into each other and destroy each other. Well, um, Pi Wars is like a non-combative version of that, and you have to build your robot with a Raspberry Pi. So you don't battle other robots; you kind of battle um, challenges and assault courses and things like that. And I kind of like the summer before I went to Pi Wars, like four years ago, I was at the Raspberry Pi Summer Festival. I uh, can't remember what it's called, Raspberry Fields. And I had my cube, my big cube of lights there. And I did a talk. And the first thing I did, I said on stage was in front of the Pi Wars creators, is I said, I hate robots. <laughs> <laughs> I said it directly at them. <laughs> I was like, I hate robots. Oh God, they're just so boring. And, you know, they can only go left and right and that's it. And they, they were all laughing. Uh, but I was trying to get across the point that like lights are so much more creative and um, just exciting, especially for children, um, you know, to engage them. I think you can get a lot more out of coding lights than you can coding and building robots. Um, so kind of, Three years later, I decided to apologize to the Pi Wars guys <laughs> by by entering their competition. <laughs> um, and I got to learn a bit about robots. Actually, my husband built most of the robot that we created for it because um, he's really into electronics. So I did, I did a lot of the code, but he did a lot of the building and the making. And we entered uh, a robot. I hope, we were hoping, obviously, to go to the real face-to-face uh, -face Pi Wars, but unfortunately it was cancelled and we competed in the virtual one where you submit a five-minute video. So we got to just create a very quick video showing off our robot. And it was a very cool robot, actually. <laughs> yeah, how, how did your robot look like and did it have some LEDs? It didn't. It seriously lacked LEDs because uh, <laughs> by the time, you know, it was cancelled, you stop building then, don't you? You kind of you give up a bit and, you know, we, we didn't finish it off. And uh, the last thing I was going to do was add LEDs because the whole thing is acrylic, um, clear acrylic. So you can see through, um, you can see all the cool bits of it. So I was going to add like edge lit acrylic to the edge. Um, so that it would really shine. <laughs> the motors have, um, the motors have LEDs underneath, but we didn't even know that. So we turned them on. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely try to find a link to that YouTube video and put that into the show notes um, so other people can also look at that robot that you created, which is very cool, I think. so. Yeah, it kinda, I, I like robots now. 
<laughs> Very good. So let's dive a little bit into the discussion of uh, your book, actually, right? Um, how did you come up with the idea of writing it? And where did you get all this inspiration for describing 20 projects? And most of these, I think, are even described in multiple ways, right? Yeah. How did you get that idea? Oh, I was just, I was actually approached by the publisher. So McGraw-Hill um, got in touch and said, would you like to write a book? And I was just so excited. <laughs> and I just kind of started throwing ideas at them, you know, oh, what about like a project book, you know, multiple um, projects. I was originally just going to say, you know, with the micro bit, but they they kind of wanted to expand it to other boards so it would get a bigger audience. So then suddenly I had three three devices and 20 projects so it was a bit of an accident that I had that many projects because it was a lot to write in the end but I just have so many ideas and 20 seemed like a good round number <laughs> next time I'm going to do 10 though because 20 was too much really and so how, how did you come up with the selection of these three devices I think you chose the Adafruit Circuit Playground Express right Raspberry Pi and then also the BBC Microbit so how did you come up with these just by the, the sales figures or the, the the size of the communities maybe or oh no not, not at all not, not sales at all so the Microbit um, I work a little bit with the Microbit Foundation so my boss where I work at Lancaster University he works with the Microbit Foundation so we've kind of mm -hmm. been involved with that from the start so we've always had access to Microbits but I also actually just I really love the device it's not just because I, I work with them I just think it's a great device and you can get so much out of it it has so many sensors built in it's like a really great device for doing stuff a lot of stuff cheaply so you don't have to buy any extra bits you can do so much just with one single Microbit so that was kind of initially that was all the book was about was microbit. Um, the publishers said it would be really great if we could expand it to Raspberry Pi because that's a bigger community in the US because um, my publisher is based in the US. So I was happy to do that. But I kind of wanted to make it like a bit of a more even playing field. So I, thought, I thought, you know, maybe we should have Adafruit's Circuit Playground Express in here, you know, give them some kind of exposure because um, that's also a really good device that's sold in the US. Um, very similar to the microbit, um, just lacking a screen, but it's a really cool device. And it has RGB LEDs on it. So that kind of sold me on that. <laughs> so I, I was wondering, actually, um, do, because you really described these 20 projects. Um, in, in many cases, you described them for all the three boards, right? So I was wondering, did you sometimes recommend to start with the microbit because that could be the easiest option and then slowly expand to the P circuit playground express and later on you do some python coding maybe in, even with the raspberry pi or uh, is it just purely um you just want to kind of please all the choices yeah it was kind of kind of the latter because the projects there's 20 projects but some of them are easy some of them are medium so like there's an easy microbit one and medium you know there you don't go from microbit to raspberry pi it's Yeah, it's not meant as a kind of um, a journey from devices. It's a journey of complexity with the same device. So I assume that people are using this with one device. So then there's the one thing that I also noticed. Um, um, you have a zombie theme in that book, right? So it's a lot about th zombies and escaping and uh, battling them, basically. How did you come up with the zombie theme? <laughs> so I kind of I came up with the, the whole save the world. You know, I was trying to think... My one of my bosses is very much into. Um, she does a lot of research into into gender and uh, gender and computing. Why girls 
and engage with computing. And we, we talk a lot about it. And she was saying one of the things we find with girls is when they choose careers, they want to choose careers that affect the world. You know, they want to they want to be doctors, they want to be nurses, they want to be they don't think of engineering unless it's engineering something that will help. Yeah, they need to find something that is for the greater good, basically. Yeah, right? so. yeah, that, that's what it's found in interviews and kind of studies is that girls tend to kind of go towards those careers more often and teaching as well. Um, so when I was thinking of a book that would appeal to everyone, not just like a boys book or a boys coding book, I really wanted to, to appeal to the girls without being girly. So I wanted to appeal for that kind of social, you can save the world um, kind of idea. And then I brought the zombies in to keep the boys <laughs> interested. <laughs> Just try to bring the zombies back to the girls, actually. So how does that work? But I, okay, got it. The girls still, um, it still appeals to the girls still love zombies, but I still, <laughs> I felt my, my boys love the zombie bit and their friends did as well. So I needed something that they could battle. Uh, I didn't want to make it political. So I kind of made it fantasy, but not girly or boy kind of fantasy yeah yeah very cool so you have the save the world title for the girls and then the zombie theme <laughs> for the boys and the girls i would say okay yes, yes. let's put it that way <laughs> perfect so um what's the age group you would recommend the book for and i was also a bit wondering if you wrote this book mainly for the kids or mainly actually for the parents of these kids actually to do the projects with them for example Yeah, it was, it's tough writing a book. I kind of, I kept, my focus kind of kept varying, which the editor kind of noticed. She was like, in this chapter, you're talking to the child because you're saying to the child, you're a brother. But then in this chapter, you're talking to the parent because <laughs> you say you're a child. So yeah, my, my, my kind of focus kept wandering because there are some projects in the book that are very difficult that the younger children wouldn't be able to do without their parents' help. So Yeah, it's kind of that's why I leveled the the project. So if it's a if it's a difficult project, a younger child will need an adult to help them to read it and go through it with them. But I think it's definitely a kids book. It it says all ages, but I'd say all ages of childhood. <laughs> so one concept that's really important in each mission uh, in your book is the concept of algorithms. I I can remember when I uh, looked at your book that um, you describe in, in great length, actually, um, what you need to do step by step, basically, so the kids can really understand the idea of an algorithm. So can you describe to us um, why it is so important to understand this concept and what an algorithm is in general, maybe in your own words? Yeah, so an algorithm is just a step of an, um, a set of instructions to get a task done. And I try and keep algorithm, kind of the word kind of throws people off. It kind of thinks, oh, no idea what that is. This is all getting a bit too complicated for me. So I try, I use the word all the time so they can get comfortable with it because you can't really avoid it, um, I think. Or you shouldn't avoid it, you know. Um, and it's just, projects can get really complicated. So I, I want them to go back to that simple instruction. This is what you're doing. You know, you're doing one, two, three, four, five, and then here's the code for it. And if the code looks too hard, look back at the algorithm and try and see where it matches the code. Because they should they should match really. You should you should have a plan before you start anything. Um, which is just good advice for anything really. You can teach coding with just a laptop or just a computer. And you would not necessarily need to have a circuit playground or any other of these sports. So What is the reason for you why you made it physical and used these educational boards to teach coding projects? I just think that bringing 
the code out in the real world is so much more exciting than coding on the computer. Like I, because I'm, I'm still a nerd, you know, I still love coding on the computer. And when I create a good function or a good piece of code, that makes me really happy. <laughs> but you know, for for people coming into the subject for children, they they kind of need a, a little bit more. You know, they need something that will get the the code off the screen and into their real world and and be like useful for them or be funny something that they can use. I suppose it's kind of copying how science experiments are done at school. You know, you don't just read the experiment in the book. You, you do it and you, you physically do the experiment and it gets, it's much more engaging. And I guess you'll, you'll love these projects with lots of LEDs. And that's what I wanted to talk next about. So what is your favorite project from the book? And what do you think is special about it? Uh, my favorite project... It was the um, the light up sword, the light up zombie attack sword. <laughs> so it's a sword with a strip of neopixels on it, um, just eight eight neopixels. And when you tilt it to the left, it changes, say, to blue. When you tilt it to the right, it changes to green. And later on, you can create um, a buzzer, so it makes sounds. You can get it to go, beep, beep, you know, as you move it around. And you could I think. Later on, you add a lock so no one can steal your sword. So the, the project kind of goes on and on. Um, and I really like it. I really, I kind of, I fought with this project a lot, thinking about should I add it in? Because it's really kind of aggressive. And I was trying to keep away from that, that aggressive kind of idea. Um, but I kept it in because when I was taking the photographs for the book, so I did all, most of the photographs in one day, I invited all my son's friends from school over and we took all the photographs in my house. And the, gir the girls just love the swords. I had to, like, take the swords off the girls. <laughs> so I thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm being silly. I'm, like, like you said, it's, the zombies are for boys and girls. So, so the swords. And I, 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 my husband was like, well, why don't you make it a wand, like a fairy wand? And I was like, no, no, <laughs> it can't be a fairy wand, but it could be a zombie sword. And I didn't even mention, I was going to add that in the book. I think I may, ooh, maybe I did, I can't remember. I kind of fought over that. Should I say in the book, this could be a fairy sword instead of a zombie sword? But I don't know. I don't think I said that in the end. So let's talk a bit more about the general aspects of coding education. I think you also do give some after school classes or coding classes. And I just wanted to ask you for, you no, know, let's say a teacher at some school wanted to start a coding class. What kind of tips would you have for that person to start the class? In, uh, in the UK and in other countries around the world, there's an organization called Code Club. Uh, so Code Club, it's just basically a website. You log in and they have lots of projects and the projects are quite a lot of them are step-by-step, step, you know, really, really detailed. This is how you make a website. This is how you control a micro bit. This is how you do some graphics and they're fantastic resources. And you can print them out or you can just follow them on the web page. So having these free resources and going through them yourself is really helpful for teachers. I used to teach as my previous role at the university, I'm going to say teach a lot. I used to teach teachers how to teach computing. <laughs> so I know, I know they've got a lot, you know, teachers that you think, if you think of a teacher, they're a very confident person. But when suddenly all these teachers had to teach computing, it really knocked a lot of them because um, suddenly they weren't the expert in the room. They had, they had no experience of coding and they suddenly had to teach coding so my, my advice was to try and, you know, teachers don't have time, but try and do as much as you can your own time or create a code club. 
because Code Club is an extracurricular, it's an after-school club, it's not compulsory, it's not graded. There are lots of different age groups. So you you suddenly, you get like a wealth of experience from running a Code Club and you grow in confidence because you, you see all the errors and you're fixing them as you go. But if you don't necessarily have to know the answer, it's kind of, it's a great opportunity. It's a great place to learn, I think, uh, an informal after-school club. It sounds very cool, actually. It's a great um, opportunity for the teachers to learn in a in a great environment, actually, right? Mostly, they, most of them will actually learn from the kids to some degree, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And that, that's what some of them fear. And I'm like, if, you, if you're really, like, frightened, go go do it with another school, you know, swap schools with a different teacher or do try and get a group of kids that you don't normally teach. Because there's a real kind of anxiousness about not knowing things amongst the teaching community. Yeah. And I guess some, some, some advice that you just remind me of actually would be to just, um, you know, get started with some of these easy coding tools, right? Like the microbit, for example. I mean, there's tons of great books like yours available where you can actually get in touch, right? And, and just try things out. And in, in a couple of weeks time, you're probably ahead of the curve and you can at least pass on some of that knowledge. So. Absolutely. And it's just about guiding the children through, really. It's not about knowing every single answer. I try and encourage them to um, to create bugs in the code, to actually trip the children up, uh, because actually coding is about making mistakes, which is another big thing that teachers aren't used to. It's, it's about failing and learning true failure, which, um, you know, you don't do that in a lot of subjects in school, in, in maths. There's a wrong answer and there's a right answer. Well, in coding, there could be seven different answers for the same problem. So, Lorraine, is there anything coming up in 2020 or maybe even in next next year that you're really looking out for uh, and that you'd like to mention at the end of this podcast interview? Hopefully, hopefully Pi Wars will happen in person. I think it's tw early 2021, they're hoping. Uh, we did really well this time around. We, got, we came sixth overall. But I'd really like to see how we do in actual real life scenarios because everything can go wrong <laughs> when you're not pre-recording pre the video. So I'd love to, yeah, I, lo I love Pi Wars. I, I went for two years before we competed and it's such a lovely environment. People are so friendly and there's a lot of, even the companies, the maker companies are there and it's just a fantastic um, social event, even if you're not competing. So would you recommend this event for the whole family? Definitely, yeah. We I've you see lots of kids there, and they can watch um, the people competing. And they kind of they keep the ticket. There's tickets, so it's not too busy, you know. So kids can get around uh, a platform and see see what's happening. And you there's the Saturday is the kids teams actually compete. So the Saturday is for kids and schools, and the Sunday is for the adults. Thank you so much for this interview. And then let's hope that the next Pi Wars event will happen in person again, right? And this whole pandemic is over soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Save the World of Code is filled with awesome projects. I recommend to check it out. And it does not matter if your favorite board is the Raspberry Pi, the Adafruit Circuit Playground Express, or the BBC Microbit. This book has you covered. If you again enjoyed this episode, now head over to kidslab.dev to check out the show notes with all links of this episode. Next up, we're talking to Sebastian Friedrich from Tinker Toys. Tinker Toys allows kids to 3D design their own toys and have them shipped home. Lots of fun while learning about 3D manufacturing and design. 